bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask you to be present here this morning with us again. We ask you to uh, just move and work in Mel's, um, the words he speaks. May you direct him, and thank you for the message that you've laid upon his heart, and may you give him courage, wisdom, and understanding as he presents your word to us. I pray that we will be open to receiving what you have for us, that our hearts and our minds would uh, listen to you and would follow your instruction and your word and draw closer to you. Just thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning and welcome to each one here. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here again this morning, gathered in God's house, to see what he has for us. Hopefully you have come with uh, anticipation, some expectation, because there is something, God has something for us every time we meet. And so I trust that we can experience that this morning. This morning's message is entitled, When God Says No. Has God ever said no to a request that you made? Has he ever declined to honor your request for healing of a loved one or maybe deliverance from some hardship? Have you ever wondered why God said no to you? And when he declined your request, was your faith strengthened? Or did it cause bitterness and maybe envy that God honored someone else's request but not yours? I'll let you answer those questions for yourself. But God, who is sovereign, does as he wills. You know, God sees the whole picture in all of our lives. Whereas you and I, we only see here and now. That's all we get right now. When God says no, it is for our good. Even though we as humans may not see it at the time, hopefully later on in life, as you look back, you realize that yes, God is always interested in seeing us successful and victorious. And I'd like to look at a few cases in Scripture where that happened. Turn with me for the first one in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20 is the account of Moses when he forfeited his privilege to lead Israel into the promised land. I'm going to read a couple of verses here in Numbers 20, beginning in verse 7, to the end of 12, and then make a few comments on that. Numbers 20, verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, 
And he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. That's kind of a sad account when you realize what Moses forfeited. Now, this might be up for discussion. This is my opinion, but I believe it was God's will that Moses enter the promised land. I think he really wanted Moses to do that. Moses forfeited that privilege by doing this. Notice a few details about this account, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we know why God said no in this case. He tells us very plainly. First of all, notice in verse 8, he says, take the rod. That was a little, I guess you'd call it a walking stick that shepherds typically used. And um, now previously, and we'll take time to look at Moses did, or God instructed him to strike the rock, and the water gushed out, and they drank. And I don't know if he just missed that part about speaking versus hitting the rock. It doesn't tell us. But he struck the rock. He hit the rock twice, and the water gushed out. God, in his mercy and his kindness, in spite of his obedience, honored that need that they had. <clears throat> Notice also his attitude. You can see that in verse 10. Here now, ye rebels, must we, we, fetch you water out of this rock? I don't know about you, but that looks a little bit arrogant, a little bit presumptive. That attitude, that name-calling, I don't know where that came from or why he, why he said that. But there's a lot in this little scene that seems really wrong to me. He really was disobedient, and he did really go against God's very specific instructions. And I believe that Moses, in this case, very majorly failed to allow God to be honored in this as he would have spoke to that rock, and we weren't told what he was to say. It didn't, I don't think God gave him any specific words to speak or phrase to say. He was to speak to the rock. <clears throat> Verse 8, And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. Very clearly, he was to speak to the rock, not hit it. And so, like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I think we know very clearly why God said no in this case. Moses was very uh, deliberately disobedient and even his attitude was really not right. Right. 
The first point I'd like to look at, <clears throat> maybe when God says no, is seek the will of the Lord. Turn with me to Joshua 7 for another account. Joshua 7 is the account of, of uh, and even as I, we look at Moses, and of course God barred him from leading Israel into the promised land. God raised up another leader, Joshua, which we see right here, to pick up in his place and go with it and lead them into the promised land like God had promised. But I'm going to read a couple of verses here in Joshua chapter 7, beginning of the chapter, and then I'm going to go back and get just a bit of a history on that. As we think of seeking the will of the Lord, when you're at a crossroads, when God seemingly says no. Joshua, or, um, yeah, Joshua, not Judges, I'm a judge. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabde, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, Go up now and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them thirty-six men, for they chased him from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes, fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. What wilt thou do to thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also trespassed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have ever taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled themselves. They had put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy, ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God, There is an accursed thing in the midst of the Israel. Thou, shalt, thou canst not stand before the enemies, until ye take away the accursed thing, from among you. Notice how many times you heard that word accursed, the accursed thing. Question, was it God's will that they win this battle? Anyone? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. It was God's will that they win this battle. Back up a little bit to the beginning of this uh, book, we have some interesting background here about this. Notice in chapter 3, 
they were, verse 5, they were to sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And truly he did. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, they crossed the Jordan in the flood stage on dry ground. Imagine that. Verse, um, okay, I think that might be a little bit later there. Verse 16 speaks of, well, let me start reading it. Uh, verse 14, chapter 3 of Joshua. And it came to pass... When the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, they were at the Jordan River ready to cross into the promised land. And here it was in the spring of the year flooded, overflowing its banks. Where was I? Verse 14. It came to pass that when the people moved from their tents to pass over Jordan, the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overflowed all his banks all the time of harvest. I'm sorry, not the spring, but in the harvest time, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam, that is, besides Zartan and those that came down toward the sea and of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over against Jericho. And so we have here, follow with me through all these Miracles, if you will, these miraculous things that happened. They crossed the river in the flood stage on, on dry ground. And we also see in chapter 4, uh, verse 14. And on that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, for they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. God had barred Moses from being their leader, raised up Joshua, and Joshua had been faithful, earned their respect, and the people feared him. You know, this really looks like God made a good choice of leaders, which I believe he did. Joshua was still a person, a human being. And then as we go on, I see Joshua as a very um, confident, self-assured, capable leader. And he was one of the faithful few, one of the two who came back from that spying expedition way back, 40 years earlier I think it was, with a good report. He wasn't intimidated by these giants that the rest were. He, wasn't, he was encouraged by this huge cluster of grapes that took two men to carry on a pole. He was encouraged by that. He was not intimidated by the enemy. He saw God bigger than the enemy. This is Joshua and, of course, Caleb. <clears throat> Take a look here in, in chapter 5, verse 13, 14. And they were now at Jericho, about to proceed with this battle. And here's Joshua. It says, And it came to pass, verse 13, chapter 5, When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man who were against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? 
And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? I like that scene. Joshua, as I said, was a very self-assured, self-confident, capable leader. And he approaches this person that he didn't know. I suppose with his sword drawn ready to swing it. And when God introduces himself as the Lord of the captain of the Lord's host, it says here that he fell on his face and did worship. A very, like I said, capable and yet willing to submit to God's authority. So we see here, there's a lot of things going on here that um, were not normal. And then, of course, God spoke with him into the next chapter, the first couple of verses there. He gave him some instructions as to how they proceed with this battle. And it wasn't like they were just sort of smash down the gates and go crashing through and beat everybody up. That wasn't at all what God had in mind. And I think most of us know the story and what they were instructed to do was not typical military strategy. Another evidence of God's uh, blessing and victory on this battle and their battles after that. But then we come back to chapter 7 where we just read. Notice chapter 7 verse 1 starts with a but. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. So far so good until now. They had taken the accursed thing, as it's called here. God could not bless them with this victory. Remember in chapter 3 where they had sanctified themselves. Verse 5, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now they had to sanctify themselves to identify the enemy among their own camp. Joshua was doing well so far. He did not seek the Lord. Maybe he was just going on the past victory and just assumed that everything was okay. Even though God himself approached him, stopped him and approached him, gave him these instructions, he did run to the Lord when there was trouble. You notice that. After they lost after they failed he was very quick to run to the Lord and blame God for it why did you do this wouldn't it be better if we just stayed over on the other side of the Jordan very typical isn't it he sought the Lord's will too late after the fact when God says no seek his will. And I think we all agree that this was God's will that they win this battle of this battle at AI. Just like they did in, in Jericho. And according to the reading here, AI was just a little tiny city because um, I'm trying to remember where I read that. Okay, yeah. They had chapter 4, verse 13. About 40,000 prepared for war. 40,000. And they took 3,000 to AI. You can see the difference in size, obviously, 
a very small city. So they had a huge army available. Joshua failed to seek the will of the Lord in this case. The next point I want to look at is ask for grace to accept his will. When God says no, turn with me 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the account of Paul's thorn in the flesh, as he calls it. A very familiar account to most of us. Paul was certainly a very, again, capable, ambitious, able leader that very that took his calling very seriously. God called him personally, arrested him on his road to Damascus, met him personally, and from then on out, there is a very drastic 180 return in his in his focus, in his goals, in his uh, actions. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. Okay, I'm kind of breaking in the middle of here. But let me just give a bit of a rundown here. The beginning of this chapter gives a, he, he's telling us some of the visions and revelations that he saw. And he must have seen some amazing revelations, visions. He's speaking in the third person, which kind of indicates the sacredness, the uh, very unique nature of these visions. And he's not quite sure if he wants to talk about it. That's kind of what I get. But in spite of all that, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above nature, above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most glad, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he was delivered from after he had asked God three times that this might, that he might be delivered from it. We're not sure what that thorn in the flesh was. There's all kinds of ideas. I won't speculate. But it was something that uh, in some way hindered him as he thought. And um, there's a bit of a... God tells us here, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that he was given. And I don't, we don't, I don't know exactly when all these revelations were given, but I think Paul, throughout, after his experience of meeting the Lord, he did have some very real and interesting revelations that were given to him. But he says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, certainly a wonderful testimony and attitude to have. When Paul, it was obviously something of physical limitation that, that was placed upon him. And in spite of this physical limitation, he wanted the power of Christ to make up for that deficiency. 
He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. And that word glory has a bit of a different meaning. It means to rejoice or be joyful in spite of this uh, limitation, whatever it might be. To rejoice or be joyful in spite of a physical, if if that's what it was, handicap, limitation. And I think most of us would agree that Paul really did need or rely on the, uh, the power of Christ. Um, I think it's, okay, Second Corinthians 11, there in verse 24, we have a bit of a rundown of some of the things that he suffered, some of the things that he experienced. Now remember, um, I'm not going to turn to that, but back when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the beginning of the chapter starts off with he was just driven with rage. He was driven with uh, a desire to do what he thought was right. And he would capture these people and take them to prison. Men, women, whoever. Didn't matter. And then just a couple of verses later after Jesus met him, here's we, we have him the beginning of the chapter as this threatening hunter, if you will. And a couple of verses later, he's this helpless prey that had to be led around by the hand because he was blind. He couldn't see. And he was blind for a couple of days before his sight was returned to him. And that was the, the beginning of his hardships. Second Corinthians 11, verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes save one, or 39 stripes, five times. Twelve say, wow, that's 200 stripes, and that's a lot of beatings that he took. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, the night and the day I had been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils in water, in perils in robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And on and on and on, and weariness and painful night watching. Verse 20, 28, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. So, Paul was certainly, as Jesus called him, a chosen vessel. He was chosen by God specifically to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that was his mission, you will, his life mission <clears throat> and immediately he was of course opposed he was all of a sudden the enemy of the his former party if I may use that term and now he is many times he was on the run and suffered for that in spite of this he had this thorn in the flesh this whatever physical limitation that was placed upon him that God said, no, I will not remove it after he requested it three times. Ask for grace to accept his will. And I think certainly Paul did that. He needed that. Um, He needed that. He had, of course, um, now he was part of a different party, forgive my crude term, but now he was part of the Church of Jesus Christ and the, uh, the brotherhood, all the support and prayers and 
comfort that he received from them. Also, um, again, part of the grace package that God gives to us upon acceptance of his will. Ask for grace to understand, to accept his will. Number three, understand God's will for your life. And I, I couldn't help but think of Jesus, the ultimate example of this. Understand God's will for your life. Um, Matthew 26, we have a scene here of Jesus in the garden when him and his disciples, just before he was apprehended by the uh, uh, chief priests and, and those that were from the temple, and he prays, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. God even said no to Jesus three times. Verse 44. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He asked God three times, and God said no. Jesus understood God's will for his life, and he knew what he must do. He had just observed the Passover with his disciples. <clears throat> and Peter, we all remember that bold, boastful claim that he made, that he's never plans to offend Jesus, as did all the rest of the disciples. And uh, Jesus then told him that before the rooster crows the next morning, you will deny me three times. Jesus knew he would be all alone. From there, he went to the garden to pray. And after his disciples had all made that bold statement about standing up with Jesus, they promptly fell asleep. And uh, after Jesus asked them to watch and pray with him. During that time, Jesus had this major battle with the flesh where his sweat pores were oozing blood. He was sweating blood. An intense emotional, spiritual pain that he was experiencing. His battle with the flesh was won in the garden, but he knew and understood God's will for his life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to bring that a little closer to home here. Uh, Paul, this is again Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he is, he is asking us to understand the will of the Lord. Verse 17 of chapter 5, Ephesians. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And he goes on to elaborate on that. You know, understanding suggests using our mind to discover the will of God. We discover the will of God as he transforms our mind. And Noah just touched on that this morning. Thank you for that, Noah. As he transforms our minds is how we begin to understand God's will for us for our lives. Um, reading through his word, prayer, and meditation on his precepts. And as we pray for wisdom, and I'm going to turn to James 1 verse 5 and read that verse. If any of you lack wisdom, here it is. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. 
God will not upbraid you or make you feel cheap or small or insignificant for asking. If you ask, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he will give it to you liberally. And certainly that, that um, has a lot to do with understanding God's will. As we look back on these couple of uh, examples that we have here, many cases we can, we can see God's will in these cases. And I, I, I hope and trust that as you experience a situation where God says no, has said no, that you will come to an understanding, a better understanding of his will for your life and be able to accept it by grace. God certainly has a will for each of you. And may God give each of us grace to understand and accept his will. Let's stand as we pray, and then I'll ask Chad to lead in a closing song. close look and seek your will during these times father we know you have promised to give more grace more grace indicating enough you have promised enough grace for what is before us for your calling on our lives thank you that you have called each of us to serve you in some way we pray that we, each of us would find joy and fulfillment in our service to you. Help us also, Father, as we, as we go through life, that we would gain a, a deeper, a better understanding of your will in each of our lives. Father, may you give us wisdom as we seek your will. And we thank you that you have promised to grant us wisdom liberally, generously has needed. And so we pray your continued blessing now as we go from here. May each of us be, be blessed in our resolve to live for you and serve you, and may you continue to give us grace for what lies ahead. And we pray your blessing as we part now. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chad?